let's turn to our text. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And why don't we stand as we read God's word together. Starting in verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You may be seated. We're in this series right now about the church, um, essentials of the church. And this passage gives us three descriptions of the church. Last week, Pastor Bob talked about the church of the living God. This week, I'm going to talk about the household of God. And next week, we're going to talk about the pillar and buttress of the truth. And so really, my whole focus in this sermon is on that one phrase, household of God, this week. But we will be talking more about the context of, 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 of this as well, those three verses. Um, before we get into that context, though, I, I want to jump ahead and talk about that specific phrase for a moment, household of God, um, and how, it, how my, me and my family have experienced that the last few weeks. So household of God, another way to say that is family of God. So I'm going to give you an update as well as share how um, my wife and my kids and I have really experienced and felt the care of the family of God these last few weeks. Um, so many of you know, most of you probably know the trial that our family has been going through lately. Um, in early December, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, uh, we shared that with you about a month ago. Um, I think on December 10th, we shared that with the church. And um, we're so thankful for your prayers during this whole time. Um, so on December 19th, she had surgery. And that all went well. There was no complications, no difficulties with it. Everything went as, as was expected. And one of the things that they do during that surgery is they biopsy your lymph nodes as well to make sure that the cancer hasn't spread. And so um, before, before that, she had had a mammogram and um, ultrasound of her lymph nodes, and they didn't see any cancer in the lymph nodes. It all looked clear. So it was kind of one of those things of like, yeah, go ahead and do the biopsy, but you know what? I'm sure she's fine. The cancer hasn't spread. It's fine. Wasn't worried about it at all. Um, but it turns out that wasn't true. So when they did the biopsy, they did find out that the cancer had spread into her lymph nodes. And so um, they biopsied three of the lymph nodes, two of the lymph nodes came back with cancer. And when we first found that out, you know, a week after the surgery or so, um, Jill had a really hard time with that. And by the grace of God, we kind of thought it was coming, you know, you get, you get emails now about your um, tests and all of that before somebody actually calls you. And so we kind of knew it was coming, so she was a, somewhat prepared for it. But it was still hard. Um, and I think for me at that time, you know, I wasn't, I didn't want to deal with it. So I was really focused on just um, on taking care of Jill, taking care of the house, those kinds of things. Just keep my head down, keep working. Let's not really think about the whole cancer thing going on right now. Life's easier when you don't have to think about it. And so that's what I did for the next week or two. And, and there was a lot to do to take care of her, to help her to, you know, in this, in this um, recovery process. Um, but one of the things that they wanted to do because they found ca cancer in her lymph node was do a PET scan. And so we got scheduled to do that. And as that test came nearer, I started to think about it a little bit more. And especially on that day that she had the test, I started to understand that maybe this could be a bigger deal than I had thought. Maybe there was more going on than I had considered. And then as we waited for the results of that test, that fear and anxiety started to creep in more. Um, up until that time, I had never really considered... Um, 
what this could mean for my wife and our family. You know, when she first got diagnosed, it seemed like it hadn't spread. We weren't too worried about it. And, you know, they've done a lot of research on breast cancer. There's a lot of good um, things they can do to, to get rid of it. And we know many women in this church who have had breast cancer and lived many, many years afterwards. And so we weren't really worried about the future. We knew the, that in the time being, this was going to be hard. But, but, you know, in the end, she's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. And all of a sudden, now I was faced with the, the idea that if the cancer has spread, maybe everything's not going to be fine. That my wife actually could die from this. And, and that started to get a lot harder. And we shared last month how our faith had grown a lot during this time. And that was good. And, and it has been good for our faith to grow. But I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to trust God when you assume that everything's going to be all right, meaning she will live in the end, than when you start thinking, maybe there's a possibility she won't. It gets a lot harder to trust God in the midst of that. Now, I'm not trying to be dramatic or build tension or anything like that, um, because, you know, but, but I'm trying to share of kind of where I was at and what I was feeling, even as we talk about family of God here this morning. This is an opportunity to share with my family what was going on um, with me during that time. Um, so praise be to God. We are so thankful. The, the test came back clear. They did not see cancer anywhere else in her body. So it had started to spread, but had not spread in any significant way. Uh, so the next steps for us, we met with the oncologist this last Friday, and she'll be starting chemo pretty soon. Um, and so I, I want to thank you for praying that she wouldn't have to have chemo, um, and, and yet that was not God's plan, and we're trusting in him for that, and that's, you know, uh, we're going to see what he's going to do in the midst of all of that, and so um, she'll, be, she'll have chemo for the next few months, and then um, there'll be next steps after that as well, but that's kind of the immediate next thing going on. So um, I share that partially as an update, but there's also another aspect of that that I want to share, because... I want to share with you the blessing from all of this. And the blessing is you. Um, what a wonderful thing it is that I get to preach on the family of God this week after having experienced so much of what it means to be the family of God the last few weeks in all the ways that you have cared for us, that you've cared for me, for my wife, for our family. Um, so many of you have brought us meals. You sent, you've sent us cards and notes and gifts, um, encouraging thoughts, you've sent us text messages, you've given us calls, you've checked in on us, and I know many, many of you have prayed for us. Even if you haven't said anything, you've been praying for us as well. And we've experienced the family of God this last month in ways that we've never experienced it before, because we've never been through something like this before. And how wonderful is it to get to experience God's family? And, and, and we have a wonderful family, um, parents and siblings that have come around us as well, but how, how wonderful is it to have you as well? And um, in fact, Jill and I have talked uh, a few times these last few weeks of, I can't imagine going through this. I mean, number one, I can't imagine going through this without God, without, without knowing uh, that God loves us and cares for us and that he's in control. I, I can't imagine not having a faith in God and, going, and trying to go through this. But I also can't imagine going through this without a church family like this surrounding us. There's so many people that, that have to go through cancer and chemo and surgery and all of this stuff almost alone, sometimes completely alone. And I, I don't know how you would get through it um, without having this church family. I don't know how we would have gotten through it without having this church family. So thank you for, for being a part of this church family, being family to us. 
And so that's what, that's what we're talking about today, is the, the family of God. And uh, as we look, but as we look at this passage, let's consider the context a little bit first. Uh, any of you who have taken how to study your Bible know that you have to, um, the smallest unit of study is a paragraph. So if you, if you, only go, if you go any smaller than a paragraph, um, you're at risk of uh, taking things out of context. We don't want to do that. So let's consider these three verses. In verse 14, he says, well, actually, I should pause. Um, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor in a church in Ephesus. But like Pastor Bob mentioned last week, when he was in this passage, um, this letter is meant to be overheard by others. It's not just for Timothy. It's clear that the elders and deacons certainly would have heard this letter read, um, would have read it themselves, uh, and, and really the whole church probably would have heard this, this letter read. It's, it's important for all of them, just as it's important for all of us. And so Paul's writing this letter, and he says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay... Um, what, what's going on here is Paul's taking a step back from the letter, and he's giving the why I'm writing this letter and what this letter is all about. That's what, that's what he's sharing with us today, is, is why am I writing this letter and what is this letter all about? And so that first, why is he writing this letter? Well, he says, I, I would really like to give you this in person. I'd like to share this with you in person. But there's a good chance I won't be able to if I delay. You need, these are things that you need to know. He says, I want to share with you these things. I'm writing these things. And what does these things refer to? Well, it's the letter he's writing. Um, so definitely what he said before this passage in, in regards to false teachers and um, the qualifications of elders and the qualifications of deacons. But also, I don't think it's a stretch to say that what follows as well. He, he's, he's looking at the big picture of this whole passage. This is what I'm writing to you. And he's writing it to them. And he says in verse 16, if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. What he's saying here is, I want you to know how to live as the church. That's what that phrase, household of God, is referring to the church. There's actually three descriptions here. And that's what this whole series is about. Household of God, church of the living God, pillar and buttress of the truth. And so he's saying, how should we live, how should we behave as the church together? And the church isn't some extra add-on that if you, you know, you're a follower of Jesus and if you want to, you can also do this church thing. When we become followers of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, regenerates us, we, we respond in faith and we become followers of Christ, we become saved by grace, justified. We automatically are a part of the body of Christ. We're automatically a part of the church. And so it's an important thing to know then, okay, how do we live? How do we behave? How do we conduct ourselves in the church. We're a part of this church, this gathering, as was talked about last week, this, this called out gathering of people together. How are we supposed to live together as the church? That's really the whole question of First Timothy. How do we live as followers of Christ together in the church? But then he continues on in verse 16. In verse 16, he seems kind of weird. It kind of seems like he, he, he's changing to something else. He says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He's talking about how to behave in the church, and then all of a sudden he's talking about the mystery of godliness. It doesn't seem to connect, and yet there's no big transition there. So that seems to indicate that, no, he is, he is, this is one thought altogether. And it's when you consider the connection between that word godliness and the word that we saw earlier, behave, that we understand it a little bit better. 
If I was to ask, how should you behave, how should you live in the church, and someone said, well, with godliness, you can't really argue with that, right? You can't argue with someone saying we should live in godliness with, in, you know, with godliness as we relate to it in one another in the church. That's a great word to use. The only problem with that word is it can be vague sometimes. Be more godly person. There can be that feeling of like, what does that really mean? So, Paul actually gives us a description of what godliness looks like immediately following this. And you might be tempted to think he's going to give us a list of rules or steps to become more godly. Here's the ten rules of being godly. I mean, you could just look at the Ten Commandments for that, maybe. But but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's doing something different. Let's read that again. Verse 16. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. What? There's six things there. What are those six, six things describing? Well, it's not a what. It's a who. Without a doubt, if you read this, we can tell he's talking about Jesus. This is where it all comes together. I love this. When studying the Bible and you start to make connections, when you consider that question, how, what does it mean to be godly? What does it look like to be godly? We're saying, you know, a, a To be like God. Godliness is to be like God, to act like God, to have his character. So what does it look like for a human to be like God? It looks like Jesus, doesn't it? And that's what this is describing right here is is Jesus. These are six descriptions, different aspects of Jesus' life. And that's a great answer to that question. What does it mean to be godly? godly? It means to look like Christ, to look like Jesus. It's not about this list of rules that as long as I keep these list of rules, then I'll be fine. It's about trusting and following and being like our Savior, Christ. So the simple answer of how should we behave in the church, in the family of God, as we'll talk about today, is to be like Christ, to trust in him. And, and remember, this isn't this isn't us doing this on our own. It's, it's relying on Christ to make us more like him, relying on the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. And in, do that, we, in doing that, we fulfill that role that we have in the church together. So that's the big picture. That is the, the context here. But now I want to talk more about um, that particular phrase, household of God. What does it mean that the church is the household of God? And what does it look like for us to be the household of God? So, household of God is three words in English, but it's actually only two words in Greek, which means that this is officially the shortest text of Scripture that I've ever preached before. And I know that there's some pastors out there that have preached on one word, um, so maybe I'll get there someday. But, uh, you know, a, a way you could talk about this in English is God's house. How you should behave in God's house. And uh, as we consider that phrase, we're going to break it apart a little bit. Um, God is not difficult to understand here. The Greek word for God there is the title, uh, much like the English word for God, um, which just means deity. But we know from context, we know from what Paul's saying, he's referring to the one true God. This is the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. This is the personal God, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, known as Yahweh. We know his name. So that's the God that we're talking about here. Not to be confused, and I don't think anyone was, but we're not talking about some other God. This is the one true God that we're talking about today. Then we get into that word household. And that word household in Greek is the word oikos. 
And I bring that up because maybe you've heard that word before. Maybe you've heard pastors talk about it, that sort of thing. Um, but, or maybe you've just heard of the brand of yogurt called Oikos Greek yogurt. Maybe you've heard of that before. Yeah. So I thought about that as I was studying this, and I thought, you know what? I bet you, I bet you there's some connection there. I bet they have a really good story of why they're named Oikos Greek yogurt. So I did a bunch of research, looked on their website, all over the internet, and I found nothing. They, they don't have any explanation as to why they chose that. I mean, they're Greek yogurt, so they chose a Greek word, but they don't tell anyone why they chose that word. Um, so I, I figured it out for them. Okay? I, I, came up with a, I came up with a tagline, okay? Follow me on this. Oikos Greek yogurt. It tastes like home. That's pretty good, huh? Yeah. You know what? You can have that for free. Go for it. <laughs> So that's what, that's what that word oikos means. There's a few different ways to translate it. Um, the, one of the most basic ways is house. When you think about the physical structure of a house, your address, right? Your, where your house is, that's your oikos, it's your house. Um, but it also means family. The, you think about the people that live in that house. Um, the, the family that's there, oikos can mean family. Uh, it can also mean home, which really just kind of combines house and family together. Uh, and another thing it can mean, though, is ancestry. There's a couple times in the New Testament that refers to the house of Israel or the house of David, referring to the people that belong to those, that family, the ancestry-wise, ancestry the descendants of David. Um, and one more, and this is, this is really important to consider as well, one more meaning sometimes for this word is temple. There's a couple times in the New Testament where the phrase house of God is referring to the physical temple, especially as it's talking about the Old Testament. Um, There's a couple times where it refers to the time where David went into the tabernacle and ate the bread of the presence. And it uses that phrase, house of God. Actually, the same phrase that we're we're studying here today. And and that's important as we consider, as we talk about the church, because as we know, the church is the new temple. God's presence no longer dwells in a physical location on the earth, like a temple in Israel. It now dwells in the church. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22 talks a lot more about this. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning. Um, actually, I, I preached on that exact passage with that idea this last fall about how we are the temple. You remember the whole sanctuary auditorium thing. And so there's this understanding that the church is the dwelling place of God. The church is the household of God, meaning that this is the place where God dwells. Just like God dwelt in the temple in the Old Testament, God dwells in his people in the church now through the Holy Spirit. So it's important to understand that, that as well. But we're going to spend more of our time on the idea that household of God means that the church is family. We're talking this morning about the family of God. And there's a place that I want to spend most of our time, but before I get there, we do have to mention, mention this as well, because um, this gives us an understanding of our relationship to God. If, if we are God's family, that tells us something about how we relate to God, and it also relates, it also tells us something about how we relate to other people in the church as well. How we relate to God, I think of Ephesians chapter 1, where he says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons in Christ Jesus. This idea that God has chosen us and adopted us as his children God is now our Father. And that's why we can pray with Jesus, our Father in heaven. As you look throughout the Old Testament, it actually was not normal to call God Father. It doesn't come up very much then. But now, because 
We have been saved by grace because we have been adopted into God's family. Now we can call God Father. And so that idea, that understanding that, that we are part of the family of God affects our relationship with God, that he is our Father. And that's a huge identity that we have. This relates to our salvation because he has chosen us and adopted us. We are saved. Ephesians 1 also talks about the inheritance that we have. Um, we, we think about our eternal destiny, spending forever in the new creation with God because we are part of his family. So there are huge implications for being part of the family of God that, we, that, that has on our relationship with God as our Father. Like I said, that affects our identity. That affects the way that we live our lives when we, when we understand and know that God is our Father. We're a part of his family. But I want to spend more time on how we relate to each other as the family of God together this morning. Because I think sometimes when you, when you hear that phrase, family of God, we kind of, we kind of just let it be a warm, fuzzy feeling inside of us. Like, it's a nice thing that we're part of the family of God. And we think about it in terms of our identity. And maybe we mostly think about it in terms of our salvation. And we go, yeah, it's good to be God's child. Because then I will be with him forever, the new creation. And, and we like that idea. And that sounds great. Um, but what does it really mean that the church, not just me individually, but, but the church, this assembly of called out believers... Like Pastor Bob talked about last week in the Church of the Living God. What does it mean for us together to be God's family, especially in how we relate to one another? That's really what I want to talk about today. How are we the family of God together? In order to do that, I want to go to another passage. And we're actually going to be in this passage the rest of our our time this morning. So this is 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 through 12. And this is going to give us really applicably, a really uh, applicable understanding of what it means to be the family of God. This is going to help us to know how we should relate to one another as God's family. So this is First Thessalonians 2. It's just a couple pages back. Uh, verses 7 through 12. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, And encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So there's three different main relationships that we see in this passage that relate to family. In fact, that kind of family language is used all throughout the New Testament. Anytime you see that word brothers um, come up, you know, they're not, Paul's not talking about um, blood relationships that he has with people. He's talking about other people in the church being like family. And so here we get some really, really helpful um, examples of what it means to be a family together, what it means to be part of God's family. I want to remind you, um, Paul and and Silvanus and Timothy, as he says at the beginning of this letter, um, they're writing this to the Thessalonians, and so he's particularly in this situation, he's taking these roles on himself in his relationship to the Thessalonians. So he's saying, I've been like a mother to you, like brothers and sisters to you, been like a father to you. But it's not a stretch to apply this to the relationships within 
the local church as well, the relationships that we have with one another. And so part of what we're going to be doing here as we talk about these is I want you to think about what roles in the church do you have um, that, that are shown by these roles that are talked about here. So the first relationship that we see is the mother and child. Verse 7, he says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. A couple other phrases he used, affectionately desirous of you. Um, You'd become very dear to us. Uh, Mothers have a special relationship with their children um, and are particularly caring and affectionate towards them. And we all know what that's supposed to look like. And I'm not saying that everybody has experienced that, unfortunately. But, but we know the right relationship between mothers and children, what that's supposed to look like. And, and Paul's saying that's what he's been like to the Thessalonians. That's, that's the kind of role that we have with each other in the church, is caring for one another. And there's some different ways that we care for one another. It seems here as he's talking, he said, we shared not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. This idea of giving your very self, not just the spiritual care for people, but also you think about the emotional and physical care that we can have for one another. And any time that happens in the church, we're experiencing that, that motherly care in the family of God. And this is one of those things that Jill and I have experienced so much this last month. Many of you have been like a mother to Jill and I, um, bringing us meals, um, encouraging us, caring for us, checking in on us, making sure everything's okay, offering to do things for us. We've really experienced the family of God, that, that mother relationship of the family of God these last few weeks. And, and we've had opportunities, many of you have had opportunities besides that situation, to care for others in the church. That's what it means to be the family of God together, is to care for one another, even the physical needs that we, ha- that we can care for one another. The next relationship that we see here is that of brothers and sisters. Verse 9, he says, For you remember brothers. Um, But that word that's used there doesn't, doesn't, it's it's broad enough to include sisters in there as well. Some translations will even include that. He's not only talking to the men, he's talking to to all those that are part of that church. Brothers and sisters. And look at how he's describing this. He says, Our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So he doesn't want to be a burden to the Thessalonians. In some ways, he's saying, you don't need to be a mother to me. Um, But but there is this camaraderie, there is this sibling relationship that we have with other people in the church. And and it's when we're working alongside one another. You think about the labor and toil, working night and day, working alongside one another, um, fighting with each other. And and not sometimes siblings fight against each other. You've probably seen that quite a bit. Um, But that's not what we're talking about here, although... It's family's messy, that does happen within the church, but the ideal here is that we're working alongside one another. Um, I think we got got to experience some of that this morning. Um, Many of you who were serving, you know, you brave the the winter weather and come out here, and, and this Sunday's a little bit different. Um, it's, it's not the same as any normal Sunday. And so there's, there's extra people. There's maybe even some different people out there shoveling snow. And, and there's kind of just this like, we're working alongside one another to make this service happen this morning. And there's, there's that brother-sister bond, that family feeling that we get when we're here on a snowy day making church happen together. Um, but it happens in a lot of other ways in the church as well. I think, I think that probably happens each Sunday with the worship team. That they're here early before the sun even comes up um, to, to prepare for the day. And they're working alongside one another, getting ready to lead the church in worship. Um, you think about the people working in children's ministry, not this morning, but usually. 
there, you know, there's this, this, this coming together as the family of God, working alongside one another and serving the kids. Um, we experience this in so many different ways in the church, anytime that we're working alongside one another in ministry. Um, some of the most extreme examples are like mission trips. I think of a couple times that I got to go on mission trips to Mexico. And just the, the family feeling that you get with other, other believers when you're digging a ditch in Mexico together. There's something that happens there. There's that bond and that family relationship that comes together. Uh, Jill and I, we take a group of high schoolers every summer to Camp Tadmore to work for a week at the camp. Not to go to the camp and have fun, but to actually work and do dishes and cook food and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, Certainly, Jill and I have that father-mother relationship with the students during that week, but we also have that brother-sister relationship is we're working alongside them. Maybe it's even doing that physical work, you know, brushing off roofs down at Camp Tadmore. But we get this, this brother-sister bond. We get to experience what it means to be the family of God together. So anytime you're serving alongside one another, anytime you're, you're really getting into um, what real life looks like here in the church, we see that brother and sister relationship. The last relationship that we see here is that of a father and child. It says here in, uh, in verse 11, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The role of the father is that, is that to teach the children. It says here, exhort, encourage, and even to charge, to tell them what to do. This is how you should be living. That is that role of the father. One of the best examples of this is what I get to do here this morning. And I know it might sound kind of weird because many of you are older than me. And yet, I get to take that role as a father right now. To, from God's word, to exhort you, to encourage you, and to even charge you. To tell you how you should live because of what God has said. And that's that father role that I get to have a part in this morning. But we also see that in many other places in the church. Certainly, BP Academy classes. Um, the instructors there get to be a father to you. Um, and children's ministry, the teachers there get to, get to have that role as well. This can even exist within discipling relationships. Um, if, as you're discipling and mentoring someone, sometimes you get to take up that, that fatherly role to exhort, encourage, support, and to even charge them uh, to live differently. So we see that father-child um, relationship in the church as well. And uh, I don't want to miss the fact that there's also children, right? So there's fathers and mothers, there's siblings, there's also children. But we don't know, we don't talk a lot about the children here because you're not supposed to stay in that child role, are you? If you're still in that child role when you're 40, something's wrong. As you mature and grow, you get to take on these different roles. You get to be brothers and sisters in Christ with others here. You get to be that mother, you get to be that father. And there's many other things that we could say about the household of God. But I wanted to focus on this because I thought it was particularly helpful in understanding our roles in the church and how we relate to one another. And so I want you to consider that. If you're part of this church family, especially this local expression of God's church, this local church family, what is your role? And as we talk broadly about that, we don't need to be gender specific, right? Um, men can serve in the nursery and be like a mother to literally these babies, these, these children, um, women, at times, can take on that fatherly, fatherly role with other women and children in the church. It's not limited to just certain people. And we're also not limited to one role at a time. Um, I, at times, I get to be a mother to you. I, can, I get to 
the opportunity to take care of your physical needs, just as you get to take care of our physical needs sometimes. There's times where I get to be a brother to you, where we're working alongside one another in ministry, maybe doing physical work around the church. You know, you think about those, the spring work day, that sort of thing. We get to be brothers and sisters, and, and I get to be a part of that as well. Then there's also times where, like right now, where I get to be a father to you. And so we're not limited to choosing one role and sticking with it. We get to be, we get to have these roles at different times and different aspects. There's another aspect of this that, that I want to talk about. Um, and any, any metaphor breaks down at some point, and, and this is getting to the, the breaking point, but I think it's still helpful to think about. There's no cousins in this family. And what I mean by that is, you know, cousins, they show up a few times a year, maybe for family reunions and holidays. Um, they eat your food, they sleep on your couch, or, or maybe they sleep in your bed and they make you sleep on the floor. Um, and, then, and then they leave. They don't really contribute to the family. And I'm not being harsh on cousins here. We're all cousins to some extent, okay? I'm not trying to be mean about cousins. But they don't contribute to that family, right? You might consider them extended family, but they're not part of that household family that we're talking about. And in the same way, um, you know, they're not contributing to that nuclear family. They're not involved with the family like brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers are. And what I mean by that in this church is if all you do is show up on Sunday morning and you sing a couple songs and you hear a sermon preached and then you walk out the door and you have no interaction with any of these people the rest of the week, my question for you would be is, are you really a part of this family? And that's hard. And, and I understand, you know, there, there are situations where maybe people are limited by health and mobility, and, and that's not what I'm talking about here. But when you actually, when you take a step back and you think about what does it really mean to be family, it means to be involved in each other's lives, doesn't it? And that's why sometimes we have friends that we consider closer than family. I've got family members that I haven't talked to in 10 years. And although technically they're family, it's not really, right? You, I'm closer to you than I am to them. Because we're involved in each other's lives. Because I can share the struggles of what's going on in, in our lives right now with you. What makes us family is that we're involved with each other. And certainly, isn't this also relate to our relationship with God? To be called part of God's family, that's not just a position we hold that we go, okay, I got that checked off. I got my piece of paper that says I'm God's child so I can go to heaven when I die. That's not what it's about. It's about a relationship with God. It's about being involved with him, about knowing him, reading his word, praying to him, spending time with him. To be part of the family of God certainly means that we have that relationship with God, that he is our father, and we know him, and he knows us. We're known by him, and we're getting to know him better. Isn't that also true as we relate to one another? But if that's not your experience, are you really part of this family? And I'm not questioning your salvation, but there's something there. Are you a part of this church family? Let me give you some real examples of what this looks like in, in this particular church. Being a part of a small group is being a part of God's family. Um, we actually see a couple of these roles come out in our time in small groups together. 
Um, one of those is that motherly role. That, that it's, we're small, small groups is where we care for one another. Um, where we get a chance to be like a mother to a child, caring for each other's physical needs. And, and like I said, we've experienced that. Our, our small group, Jill and mine small group, has been on the front lines of caring for us these last few weeks. They're the ones who set up the meal train. They're the ones who have been calling and checking in on us. They're the first ones to bring us meals. And, and so we've gotten a lot of care from that small group. So certainly the care that happens in small group fills that motherly role that we need in life. But there's also definitely that brother and sister role in small groups where we're working alongside one another. We're, we're growing in our relationship with God together. We're studying the word together. We're praying together. We're encouraging one another. We see that brother and sister role in small groups as well. Another place that we experience family is, is something very similar to small groups. We also have discipleship groups in the church. And this is where brothers and brothers get together and sisters and sisters get together. And, and this, is, this is really where it gets deep. You're really sharing your struggles. This is where you're really sharing a lot of what is going on in your life together. And you're studying God's word together. You're memorizing scripture together. You're keeping each other accountable. How much of a family does, do those D groups really become? And, and I can say even we started a new D group just, um, just a few months ago and how much of a family it already is like. And, and we're sharing those things with each other. Those are a couple of the places that we experience the family of God. And I don't, I'm not trying to just put everything in a box here. There's lots of ways we experience the family of God in this church. Um, another really big one is serving. Serving alongside one another. To serve in, in children's ministry. Um, to, to go be a mother to children in the nursery. We need more helpers in the 11 o'clock service in nursery. That's a way you can participate in the family of God is by serving in the nursery. We need more helpers in pre-K. We need a, another teacher for the second hour. You can step into that and once again you can be a part of God's family by serving the pre-K. We need helpers in the first through sixth grade Sunday school. Um, there's lots of opportunities to serve in this church, whether it's in children's ministry or the welcome team or, or even as we get ready um, for the potential to, to, to move over to Prairie with the whole building project thing. There's a lot of work to be done there. There's a lot of brothers and sisters getting together, working alongside physically with one another, moving stuff into storage containers and getting everything ready. That's what it looks like to be the family of God, is working together, working alongside one another to serve God. The big picture here that I'm talking about, though, is we need to be involved in each other's lives. That's really what this looks like, is to be involved in one another's life. And if you want to get more involved here and join a small group or a D group, come talk to me. I'm the pastor that gets you connected to both of those areas, and I'd be happy to help you do that. Um, there's opportunities to serve. You can check out the Next Steps wall in the foyer um, to see more about those. But, but really, I'm not trying to give you just, just do these three things and then you're a part of the family. It's about being involved in each other's lives. That's what it really means to experience God's family together is to be involved in each other's lives. To be involved in the life of God by knowing him and following him more. And as I consider my own little family, my wife, Jill, our kids, uh, Michael, Henry, Eliza, and Harper. What it means for us to be family together is being involved in our lives. And you know, one of the things we experienced, um, so uh, during recovery, um, Jill's parents and my parents took the kids quite a bit. So we weren't seeing them very much. They were spending the night at Grandma and Grandpa's house. They had lots of fun. But, you know, there's a point where you kind of just feel like, ah, we want our kids back. <laughs> like, sure, it's nice and quiet and, you know, clean. But... That's not what family's supposed to be about. 
We need our kids back to feel like that family again. And you know what? It's messy. And it's hard. And, and church family sometimes is going to be messy. It's going to be hard. But that was God's model for the church. To be the family of God together. To be the household of God together. Not just alone in a relationship with God, but together. The, gathered, the gathering of the called out ones. To be involved, to be encouraging, supporting, to caring for one another, to teaching, exhorting, charging, challenging one another. All as we grow to become more like Christ. That's what God is calling us to do. And that's where we really experience the glory. That's where we experience the wonderful um, truth of God's word is when we're a family together. uh, Living as a family together. So I want you to consider how are you involved in this church family? How can you get connected to be more a part of this family? And it's, it's not always easy but it's what God, God is calling us to do. And it's the way he's asking us to live. And there's nothing better than that. And that's what it means to be the church. Let's pray. Lord, God, we praise you. Um, praise you for who you are, Lord. We praise you for what you've done. Um, God, we thank you that you've adopted us into your family. Lord, um, that you have called us sons and daughters. Um, that you are our Father. And um, Lord, I thank you for the relationship that we have with you, the experience that we have with you in that, Lord, that we can come to you and know you more, um, that you have saved us, and, and that we look forward to an inheritance in you. But Lord, I also pray that we would also experience um, the family of God in relationship to one another here in this church. Lord, I'm so thankful for all those that that are a part of this family and, um, God, that I have a deep relationship with because of the family of God that you have here. Lord, I praise you and thank you for that. Lord, I pray that everyone here would find that as well. I pray for those that may not be as involved in the church. Lord, pray for opportunities that they would see the value in it. They would see the the opportunities to connect and they could become more a part of this family. Lord, um, more and more would we experience the love and the care that comes with being the family of God here in this church. Um, Lord, and yet we recognize that only you can draw us together. Um, That we would not be here, be friends, be family with one another, unless it was for you and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And so I pray that that common bond that we have with the blood of Jesus would draw us closer to you and closer to each other. And that we would experience the family of God together. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.